Welcome to Invested in Climate. Protecting the planet and decarbonizing the global economy is the challenge of our time. Never before have so many people rallied around a common cause. We all have a role to play, and the opportunity we face is unprecedented. Invested in Climate aims to help people do more to address climate change through their work, investments, learning, lifestyle, and activism. I'm your host, Jason Rissman. I co-lead a climate venturing practice at the design firm IDEO, supporting early-stage climate founders and organizations. I'm also an investor and startup advisor, and have realized that when it comes to climate action, I'll be a lifelong learner looking for the best ways to have a climate-positive impact. If you like what you hear, give us a good rating on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you found us. Follow us on social, subscribe, and spread the word. Find episodes, sign up for updates, get in touch, and visualize your climate action at investedinclimate.com. Thanks for joining. This great partnership that we're in all started when we 1% for the planet was really thinking about, okay, we have this great membership model. It's growing, it's driving impact, you know, we're accelerating growth, but it's fundamentally incremental, 1% by 1%. I mean, that is the model. We're all in to keep growing that. And we wanted to figure out what's a way that we can create something that can be a bit more exponential. Hey, folks. Tackling climate change can't be left to companies and governments alone. The nonprofit sector plays a crucial role in everything from research to education to conservation to helping communities cope with climate impacts and much, much more. There's literally tens of thousands of environmental nonprofits, and almost all depend on philanthropy to do the vital work they do. And yet, only a tiny fraction of global giving goes to climate. That's part of why Patagonia founder Yvonne Chouinard set up an ambitious program called 1% for the Planet. The idea is simple, really. Companies donate 1% of their revenue to environmental nonprofits. Currently, there's over 5,000 companies that have signed on. Today's episode focuses on an innovative new initiative that aims to significantly grow 1% for the Planet's fundraising. It's a partnership between 1% for the Planet the National Philanthropic Trust, and Impact Investing Enabler, CapShift. It leverages the potential of investment returns to increase philanthropic support. I was joined by 1% for the Planet CEO, Kate Williams, and Jesse Simmons, a managing director at CapShift. Through our conversation, I learned a lot about climate philanthropy, impact investing, donor-advised funds, and the importance of innovative partnerships that unlock more capital for climate. Hope you enjoy. Here we go. Kate and Jesse, welcome to Invested in Climate. So glad to have you both here today. Thank you. Glad to be here. Thanks, Jason. Where do I find you both today? Today, I am in Vermont at the 1% for the Planet headquarters, and I have a beautiful photo by Richie Graham, one of our members of Birch Trees behind me. So if that gives people a visual of who they're listening to, that's me today. Uh, Well, we are mid-October, so I imagine it is incredibly beautiful in Vermont. I once got to be in Burlington mid-October, and we'll never forget it. What about you, Jesse? Thanks, Jason. I'm in San Francisco for uh, an impact investing conference called SOCAP, connecting with folks who are doing uh, interesting things in the impact investing space. 
Fantastic. Is my first year, I guess, not being at SoCap, at least since COVID, but was this week at the Sustainable Brands Conference. So I didn't get to go to SoCap, but glad that you're representing. That's sort of, that feels like an extended community. I love that place and that scene. Let's dive in. I'd love to first get started by understanding your respective organizations. Kate, let's start with you. What's your role and what is it your organization aims to do? So I am the CEO of 1% for the Planet. I've been at 1% for about um, nine years now. And what 1% for the Planet is trying to do is to increase environmental philanthropy and to, to do so in a way that's smarter, that's more lasting, and specifically that really focuses on engaging businesses in philanthropy. And so we have a membership model. That's the primary way that we drive giving. Companies commit to giving 1% of annual sales, and we certify that annually and have a whole awesome process for working on the nonprofit side as well to ensure that we have great partners to receive those funds and great relationships built between those two. Um, and one of the things that we've really thought about is, okay, we want to grow that and we're on track to grow that. And we want to create ways that we can accelerate that. And so that's how we're sort of innovating and creating something we'll be talking more about, which is the Planet Impact Fund. So that's us. Fantastic. Before we turn to Jesse, let's dive in just a little bit more. Help us understand the bigger problem that is climate philanthropy, as in, are people giving enough? It, when I've seen the numbers, it is shockingly low in terms of the amount of philanthropy that goes to climate. Yeah, it's a really important question. And that's really why we exist. So we've been around for 20 years. We were founded by Yvonne Chouinard of Patagonia. And the kind of fundamental proposition when we were founded is that there's not enough giving going to the environment and that nonprofits play a unique and really powerful role in addressing environmental problems. So Fast forward to 2015 when I started, and that was still a problem. And only about 3% of total giving in the U.S. was going to environmental nonprofits. At that point, there wasn't tracking of you know how much of that was going to climate. We've since been tracking the climate piece more. The, the total environmental has hovered, it's grown as an absolute number, but it's continued to be only about 3% of total giving. Climate globally, you know, it's a little hard to track, but is probably only about 1% of total giving globally is going to climate. So, and there's so many ways in which philanthropy can play an absolutely critical role in building our solutions to climate change. So that's the big problem we're trying to solve. Wow. And tell us more about so some of the accomplishments. What have you been able to achieve in attacking that problem? For us, one of the things we're really proud of is in the last five years, we've seen that there has been a shift in giving across our companies. So we are currently certifying in the last couple of years, we've grown from 30 million annually to 50 million annually. This year, we're on track to be at about 65 million um, in certified giving. Um, and that's the giving done by our network. And what we've been also seeing is that a larger percentage of that is going to climate. The last year that we tracked the climate giving was 2020, I believe, and it was about a third or 30% of the total giving that our network was doing. So quite a bit higher than the sort of total giving out there and, and definitely a shift across our network. It used to be that more kind of traditional, what I would say traditional conservation giving was the lion's share of the giving that our network was doing. And it was a shift to a greater percentage going over into climate. We have, you know, shifted our impact areas somewhat. So we won't be as tightly, you know, tracking climate because there's so many different ways in which it shows up. 
But I would say overall, you know, a big accomplishment for us is of the now more than 425 million in giving lifetime giving of our network that, you know, we are definitely outpacing the sort of global percentage going to climate. Um, which is great to see. And I will say we are also very committed to the fact that we're not just a climate focused entity where, you know, we see the interconnections across all of the environmental issues. And we really work with our donors who are our members to figure out how to support those in a way that's meaningful for them, knowing that in so many ways, it, it all hangs together. Right. And how many members are there now? We have more than 5,000 members. We have a, um, about 5,400 when we include a chapter that we have in France. So that's global members. And about 53% of that network is global, is, uh, excuse me, international, and 43% is in the U.S. And these are companies that we've heard of, I would guess? Yeah, we have a wide range. I mean, we have brand new startups that you wouldn't have heard of because the founders have heard of it. So they're, you know, brand new. And then we have big multinational companies, our founder Patagonia, certainly people have heard of, but some other brands that may be familiar to people are OXO in the housewares area. We have Pucka Tea, which is a global tea brand. Tazo Tea is another one. Fat Tire Beer is one that at least in the US, a lot of people would have heard of. And I guess what I'd say overall is one of the things we're also really proud of and committed to is we have a really diverse set of members. So we're in about 65 different industries. So from housewares to outdoor to fintech, you know, really across the board. And it's not just products. We also have a growing number of service industry companies. So banks, brand and marketing firms, lawyers. Um, and, you know, what that says to us is that consumers are really increasingly saying, like, not only do I want my beer and my backpack to sort of be aligned with the outdoors, but I'd also kind of like my life insurance and my toothpaste and the clothes that I'm wearing and this lotion that I'm putting, you know, from our skin out, we kind of are looking for ways for our purchases to drive solutions. Well, I love that I now can drink tea or drink a beer and, and feel like I'm giving to the planet. And I also love that the 1% uh, for the planet logo is, is very recognizable. And it really is noticeable that many of your partners, your members advertise that they are participating in the program. You see it on their websites, you see it on business cards or on menus when it's a restaurant. And it just really speaks highly for their belief in, in the program and their sense of membership. We actually really believe in the power of the brand and on moving philanthropy from being this nice kind of quiet extra at the end of the year to being something that companies really integrate into their brand. So we very intentionally support that sort of storytelling around building the brand because that enables consumers to make choices that enables other brands to say, hey, that seems like a really credible way to drive impact. And then that helps to grow the movement. So we have seen that really be successful in sort of creating that groundswell. Fantastic. Jesse, let's turn to you. Tell us a bit about CapShift and the work that you're doing there. Thanks, Jason. At CapShift, we are impact investing specialists. And so we help families, foundations, donor advised funds, financial advisors access impact investments and really activate a pool of capital, investment capital, that historically has not uh, sort of been thought of as a tool to achieve impact and outcomes on the planet, 
and help channel that capital towards impact investments and solutions that are help creating a better, more sustainable environment, more just economy, better outcomes for underserved communities and our planet overall. Piggybacking on uh, a lot of what Kate just said, as folks are looking to have their products and purchasing decisions and insurance policies aligning with the things that they care about beyond themselves, we also see more and more folks are interested in having their investment portfolios also share that same sort of impact and purpose-driven orientation. And we exist to help activate those investment portfolios for compelling impact for people and planet. Fantastic. And tell us a bit more just in terms of the traction that you've had and if you're able to share the amount of investments that you're facilitating. So we work with investments across every imaginable sector, asset class, and geography. We work with all different types of individuals and institutions in structuring investment portfolios, sourcing and identifying different opportunities across issue areas as diverse as food and agriculture and microfinance and affordable housing and green chemistry, sustainable building, the list goes on and on. We work with asset holders that represent billions of dollars in assets and help them identify the impact areas that are most relevant for them and uncover and analyze due diligence those opportunities that best fit within those strategies. We've mobilized hundreds of millions of dollars for deep impact through private markets in climate-focused investments, in investments focused on justice and underserved and underrepresented communities. And we're just getting started. Fantastic. So we have you both here today together because 1% for the Planet and CapShift launched a partnership earlier this year. I'd love to hear about it. Kate, can I ask you to first help us understand what the partnership is and the problem that you're aiming to solve by working together? This all started, this great partnership that we're in, all started when we were 1% for the planet was really thinking about, okay, we have this great membership model. It's growing, it's driving impact, you know, we're accelerating growth, but it's fundamentally incremental, 1% by 1%. I mean, that is the model. We're all in to keep growing that. And we wanted to figure out what's a way that we can create something that can be a bit more exponential because the problems that we're facing are urgent. The need for solutions is urgent. And so we started looking through a bunch of options and landed on this idea of what if we were to create a donor advised fund? Our expertise is in environmental philanthropy. So we could bring that to bear there and go from there. So That was the seed that we started with. And then we got really clear, really fast of like, okay, here's our expertise, environmental philanthropy. Here's an area where we're not so expert. And that is donor advised funds, impact investing. So we pretty quickly looked to partners and we, at the introduction of a board member, we landed with CapShift. We vetted some other partners, but kept coming back to CapShift because they rock and had a really great I would say it was a like nine month process. And this was in 2021 of me going to school for <laughs> donor advised funds and impact investing. Um, Jesse and his team sort of coming to understand what we were trying to solve for, which is how can we create this compatible program to our membership model that will enable us to reach non-member donors as well as member donors leverage our environmental philanthropy expertise, but 
go big and sort of position philanthropy to be leveraged in a different way. So we worked through that. And over the course of that time, we brought in the National Philanthropic Trust as the sort of third leg of the stool that is creating this great foundation for the Planet Impact Fund. And we created the Planet Impact Fund, which has now come to life. And back to that sort of urgency, that's the problem that we're trying to solve is that we have a great model. CapShift has a great model. There's a lot of great things happening. And putting the pieces together with our brand, with our expertise, with our reach, we felt that we could, if we could create this product that could be open to more donors, the giving was not sort of within the 1% certification model, that we really could get that scale going. And with the opportunity to really educate people, our donors, new donors on that potential for philanthropy to be allocated annually to giving directly to nonprofits, but also in a more long-term way into investments that drive change over time. That seemed like a really great opportunity. Yeah. And that's, I think, one of the things that's most unique about the partnership is really that you're enabling donors to increase their impact by putting their money into climate investments that then generate positive climate impact while also generating financial returns that in turn become grants to nonprofit partners. So let's understand this a bit more. And in particular to you, Jesse, why do you see such an approach as being beneficial? Keeping ourselves in a livable planet and addressing climate change in a meaningful way is a multi-trillion dollar problem. Grants are part of that solution and philanthropy is a, plays an important role in that problem, but it's not enough, as Kate mentioned earlier. There's a trillion dollars in assets today that are locked up in charitable vehicles. Ultimately, we'll all be granted out and for the benefit of society, but in the meantime, are invested a small fraction of those investments are doing anything towards the impact goals of those charitable institutions and oftentimes are in fact working against them. So though the foundation or the donor advised fund is granting towards climate, they may be investing in fossil fuels as a classic example. We care about the meantime and we have a lot of urgency in making that invested capital work for the same types of outcomes for people and planet as quickly as possible. And so that's really our focus is activating that invested capital that is oftentimes counteracting the impact mission and making it work towards that same impact mission. So instead of being invested in fossil fuels before you get granted out, be invested in clean energy, sustainable forestry, regenerative agriculture, and all the other sort of set of really rich impact investment opportunities that are achieving the same financial return expectations are going to be able to grow capital and facilitate grant making that is targeted. But in the meantime, participate in really compelling solutions and just level up and increase the amount of resources that we have to these problems that require more resources than we're bringing to them today. Great. And who is the program intended for? What kind of donors or investors? And Kate, how is this expanding or changing who you focus on? Yeah, it's a really great question. And that's, you know, now that we've built the fund, that's our big focus. And so right out of the gates, what we're seeing is that we have a lot of interest from our members. So that's great to see that members can choose to allocate some of their 1% to this. So, you know, that's helping to get some seed funds in. But I would say the market that we're, you know, more sort of proactively seeking to reach is, 
you know, who are those people who may have an inclination otherwise to put their money into a donor advised fund, but who, like as Jesse was just describing, may either not have been aware or were not aware that there are other options that, you know, the investment side of that was not serving their values. And so, you know, we're really interested in finding those people who have donations of any size, um, but, you know, there will be some larger donors in the mix who want to really align the totality of their philanthropic decisions. So they might have been planning to set up a donor advised fund anyway, or they have a donor advised fund and they want to, you know, set up another one and really make sure that every dollar, whether it's in the invested capital or in the granted part is, you know, going toward what they value and what they intend for those philanthropic dollars. One of the things, too, that we've been paying attention to is the wealth transfer, the big generational wealth transfer that's happening, because there's a, a really big opportunity with that, because that generation we're seeing in so many other surveys around sort of consumer data is much more interested in and much more aware of the fact that every dollar is doing something, whether they're actively spending it or not. And so really creating an opportunity for those sort of next generation, although it's almost upon us. So I don't know how long, much longer the next moniker will work, but that, you know, I think will be a really important group of people for whom this will have potentially a lot of interest. And we certainly want to position it as such. And then one other thing that I'll just add too, is part of the way we've set it up is there is an opportunity for individuals to set up their own donor advised funds. So that is, you know, kind of how we've been talking about it thus far. But we did also set up a pooled fund because one of the critiques of donor advised funds over time has also been that they're kind of the domain of the wealthy. And so what about people who, you know, can give a small amount and would like to be able to participate in the sort of invested capital, granted capital model. And so our pooled fund is open to donations of any size. So, you know, what we've created is an ecosystem that's open to all donors. And, you know, that feels really important to us. And we also have created a commitment that will give a percentage every year, we're targeting 10% that every year we'll be granting that out. So there's always that sort of immediate donation to nonprofits built in on an annual basis, while there's also that, you know, invested in commitment to longer term goals. Great. I'm going to rewind us just for a second to something that you mentioned, which is the wealth transfer, which what I understand of it is that we're living through the largest intergenerational transfer of wealth in history. And as we see the money get passed on to a younger generation, it's getting passed on to people who care more about where their investments are going in terms of climate or a whole range of values-driven concerns. Is that the transfer that you were referring to? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. What that generation is, is, as you noted, definitely seeing that they have an opportunity to drive solutions with their wealth, are interested in doing that. And they're also not framing it as a trade-off. I think in, you know, probably the the generation that's handing off the wealth, there was a sense of like, I'm going to do the right thing over here. I'm going to make my retirement money over here. And I think what this generation is saying is like, no, it, it's all the same package. And it's actually the economy that we want to fuel and create is the one that is the solution for the planet that needs the solution. I think these broad trends that we're seeing of folks wanting to have agency on the world beyond them with their resources, caring about other communities, caring about other geographies, caring about the planet and other species is a durable and long-term trend. We also 
coinciding with this have a long-term trend towards a lower carbon economy because we're going to have to. And the pace at which we execute on that transition towards a lower carbon economy is paramount. And so we want to bring every resource that we can towards accelerating and driving and uh, that transition towards a lower carbon economy. And that's where investment capital is increasingly being seen as part of that solution type. And so helping connect those dots of I am a a next generation or I am a person who historically hasn't had responsibility for investment decisions and disproportionately are making more of those investment decisions and disproportionately care more about having that agency on the world around us. Being able to bring opportunities to act on those desires and bring investment opportunities that are able to sort of displace what were historically potentially negative impact or neutral impact opportunities with really bringing those resources to bear towards these big challenges. Jesse, tell us more about how the investments are selected for this particular fund. How are the climate impact of those investments considered? And you know, really, what are you thinking about in terms of risk return profile and best serving the partners that are selecting this? We go very broad in our sourcing process. There are an extraordinary diversity of nonprofits and businesses bringing climate solutions to market. And we try to look very broadly across sectors, geographies, and asset classes or structures of capital for ways to support these amazing entrepreneurs and organization leaders bringing these solutions. We have a due diligence methodology that has a leading impact evaluation methodology as part of that, where we dig deeply into how a fund manager or a business is integrating impact or climate outcomes in every phase of their business and strategy. We manage a database of 1,600 different impact investment opportunities and apply that due diligence methodology to the most compelling of those investments to dig really deep into their financial suitability, their operational sustainability, and then the so what, what kind of impact outcomes are they really poised to generate based on the way that they run their business, the markets that they target, and the types of outcomes that their underlying portfolio companies or products are poised to achieve. So especially now, October 2022, I need to ask, does this approach add risk? Rather than enabling donors to give directly to nonprofit partners, you're first really relying on the market to produce returns. And this year has brought the unfortunate reminder that the market doesn't always deliver positive returns. So how have your investments fared? We never want to displace granting. We never are advocating for investments to happen instead of granting. We think of impact investments as displacing negative or neutral uh, investments. So in the meantime, before assets get granted out, they are already invested. And unless your money is sitting under your mattress, it's having an impact on the world. We want to maximize the efficacy of that impact on climate outcomes and participating in a just transition to a lower carbon economy. That, that's our priority. With any investing, there is risk. And our investment portfolio of the Planet Impact Fund is down along with the market in 2022. It's down less than the broader benchmark. And we select investment opportunities and design portfolios to mitigate risk while we can. But we know that 
by bringing capital to those solution providers, those businesses doing extraordinary and transformational things in climate, there is risk that some of those businesses will indeed fail, just as some nonprofits that we may grant to may indeed fail. But nevertheless, as long as as capital is invested, we want to make sure that the outcomes of that invested capital are as positive as, as, as humanly possible. Great. Thanks for answering that. I know tough question to ask anyone about returns in the market today, but that makes a lot of sense that it's not about replacing donations with investments, but instead just improving what the investments actually are. Kate, let's go back to you. I'd love to hear about some of the nonprofit partners that ultimately have been recipients of the funds raised and earned through the Planet Impact Fund. How many are there? Who are they? And how are they selected? Yeah, and I think to you know build on what Jesse was saying, you know, we really believe in sort of highlighting the importance of granting, even as we're sort of coupling it with this investing model. So one of the things that we were really committed to doing was featuring the nonprofits to whom we will give at the end of year one. So we have not yet done that granting um, so that people would understand when they're making a donation to the fund, not only can they sort of check out what our investment thesis is, but they can also say, hey, here's the portfolio of nonprofits that I'll be investing in. So the way we did the selection was we we kind of thought through who's our broad audience and how do we use this portfolio to sort of convey our point of view on an opportunity, some of the opportunities in the uh, climate space. So we identified six as the right number, kind of big enough to give us some breadth, but small enough for people to kind of look at and understand. Um, We wanted them to be big enough that they could um, sort of have some scope and reach and not be just hyper local again, because we're, we're reaching a pretty broad audience, generally international in scope again, speaking to that broad audience. And then we really highlighted the environmental justice aspect of climate, just because that's an area that we've been expanding into and really developing and understanding and expertise around the ways in which giving that is at the intersection of planet and people is really powerful. And so we really wanted to showcase that here. So With that in mind, we essentially put our crack team of environmental partners, specialists on the job of looking through our network with those criteria and identifying some uh, nonprofits and doing some research where needed. And we were aware, and I do want to sort of note this, you know, we were aware that there were some limitations to this approach and that it was based on sort of our understanding as we move forward, we'd love to, you know, move into a a process where we're getting referrals from some of the best nonprofits in our network or an, an application process. But just since we're just getting out of the gates, don't know how big the grants will be. We wanted to keep it really low lift for the nonprofits and just, you know, make sure we're super transparent about how we're doing it. So we did our research and we landed on, six pretty amazing nonprofits that we're super excited about. So um, those are highlighted on our website if anyone wants to learn more. We'll share links to all of them in the show notes so folks can see it on your website as well as click through. So the six nonprofits in our portfolio are Amazon, Frontlines, E-Law, Groundswell International, Indigenous Environmental, Solar Sister, and Urban Ocean Lab. And they're just awesome. So it's really fun. And we're really excited that we're able to showcase them and have this portfolio kind of front and center as people are making their decisions about giving. Because again, they can see how we are valuing that granting as well as the investing. Great. I'm so tempted to ask you your favorite, but I know you wouldn't answer that question. 
No, and I couldn't actually. I could have a favorite on each of the different dimensions. They're truly amazing. And and honestly, we have 5,000 nonprofits in our overall network and I have the same struggle. There's just a, a wealth of amazingness. Kate, let's back up to one thing that you mentioned, which is that you're also creating the opportunity for donors to create their own donor-advised fund as part of this new platform. Tell us more. uh, Who is that uh, open to and what's the advantage of doing so? Yeah, so this is an opportunity that's open to donors uh, who can put $25,000 or more, which is a relatively low threshold for a lot of the donor-advised funds. So, you know, we were psyched about that, again, in the sense that we really want to sort of make this accessible to as many people as possible. So $25,000. And the idea is that we're creating this great investment pool. And the as Jesse mentioned earlier, you know, one of the problems we're trying to solve is that there right now there is a lot of investment capital locked up in donations where or in places where it's not doing good or it's not aligned with at the very least it's not aligned with some of the charitable giving that is associated with those funds. So, you know, we feel that there's a real opportunity to create essentially a whole ecosystem where not only do we have this pooled fund with a great portfolio of nonprofits that we'll be giving to, but we have an ecosystem in which individuals who want to set up donor advised funds can access the underlying investment fund and then make their selections for where they're donating as they would at any donor advised fund. So the goal is just to create an ecosystem where we can kind of change and hopefully shift the story from being one where we have misaligned donations and investments to one where we have wholly aligned donations and investments uh, working together towards the same goals. Okay, let's talk about donor advised funds for a second. And Jesse, maybe we'll turn to you on this one. DAFs have received a lot of criticism for allowing people really to avoid paying taxes by putting their money into a DAF and then delaying their philanthropic giving. And we're not talking about small sums of money. Donor advised funds hold over $140 billion, and there's no required annual payout. Uh, And so there's a lot of capital that just sits and waits for donors to decide where that money should go. What's your take on this criticism of DAFs and how does your organization address it, especially amidst the urgency of the climate crisis and other problems that really would benefit from philanthropic support today? You're preaching to the choir. There's too much assets locked in charitable vehicles that aren't doing anything to benefit people on the planet. And that's why we exist. We exist to help activate that capital and get it flowing towards investments and grants that will have immense impact on climate change, on underserved and underrepresented communities. It's a huge challenge. It's even larger than this $140 billion number. There's a trillion dollars of charitable capital that has already received its tax deduction and is ultimately designated for the benefit of society. And too much of that capital is invested in things that are still hurting that ultimate mission. And so reorienting that pool of capital, accelerating the grant making and getting the invested capital towards these big solutions that require multi-trillion dollar investable solutions and market-driven solutions is our absolute priority. Great. 
you know, we definitely have been very aware of the criticisms of DAF, which also include that they, again, are that sort of province of people who have a lot of money. And so then it's like shifting money away, important money away from the granting. One of the things that's been really important for us to clarify is that DAFs in and of themselves as a structure are not inherently, they haven't built in the this negative. It's a use case. And so what we're really trying to do is say, hey, it's it's actually a great vehicle. It enables us to deploy philanthropic dollars in two powerful ways, to investing and to granting. And we're, we're setting up the Planet Impact Fund as a way that the use case can be used really well to the advantage of planet and people. So we have had some questions about like that framing DAFs as inherently negative. And we want to be really clear that they're not. They need to be used well. And that's what this is doing. One thing that I love about the Planet Impact Fund is how it brought together your different organizations and the and really leverages the different capabilities that you both have to unlock more capital for climate. And it's the type of partnership that we need more of. So I'm curious, what are some other ambitious partnerships for climate that you're seeing and that are exciting to you? I'm really excited about some of the partnerships that we have with existing financial intermediaries, particularly financial advisors, who are really the stewards of enormous pools of investment capital and are the trusted partners of families, foundations, and all different types of asset holders who are making decisions about where capital gets invested over decades and generations. And helping those advisors and partnering with those advisors to integrate impact into those investment decisions. And as I was discussing before, replacing some of these investments in climate bads and industries and products that are participating in the deterioration of our climate with investment opportunities in businesses and funds that are uh, creating climate goods and creating more sustainable forests and more renewable energy and a more sustainable green infrastructure base for our country and world is really exciting to me. The underlying client base, as we talked about, is highly motivated to have their assets and investments represent what they care about, a more just society, a lower carbon economy, a more sustainable planet. There is demand for this and it's clear and it's growing. The opportunity set on the other side is just as rich. There is an enormous number of investment opportunities across all of these different uh, impact areas, sectors that are driving compelling financial returns, operational sustainability, and driving compelling uh, impact outcomes that these individuals care about. And now helping the, the trusted advisors who are the stewards and decision makers of where that capital goes understand, identify, and activate uh, that capital towards impact investment opportunities uh, is a set of partnerships that we're seeing grow rapidly and is really encouraging about moving these multi-trillion dollar pools of capital to problems that match that scale. And I would say the partnerships that I'm most excited about are, and I'm seeing many of them in our nonprofit network, are nonprofits that are working in the space where they're essentially removing some barriers for solutions in the business realm to get to scale. So they're, you know, either sort of working with farmers on lowering the barriers to shifting to regenerative agriculture so then that can get to scale or helping 
in other supply chain areas to connect producers to a marketplace. So then again, they can get resources and get to scale. So I find it really exciting to see the sort of super specialized approaches that go in and help something get to scale so that then it can be replicable and, uh, you know, get to the scale where it can drive change. Because that sort of transition from a solution that is proven to it being a viable market opportunity that many other people can access is a really hard transition. And so to see nonprofits coming into that space and helping to bridge that gap is really compelling and powerful. And we're seeing it, you know, be an important part of the overall kind of climate solution space. That's really interesting because what you're really pointing to is that through your model, it's not just that you're taking the proceeds of capitalism to support the nonprofit sector, but you're actually borrowing from the toolkit as well and seeing the nonprofit sector benefit from thinking about scale and thinking about growth and using tools that have been developed on on the for-profit side. It makes me though curious and want to ask, are you seeing that happen in the reverse as in are businesses also learning from the nonprofit partners and from the nonprofit sector that that you're exposing them to? Absolutely. And I love that you asked that question because it's a great thing to highlight because one of the key features of our model is that we don't operate as a foundation. So in our membership model, we don't take the dollars in and then distribute them on behalf of our members. We build relationships between our members and the nonprofits that they end up selecting through an advising process that they go through, which has some of the same components of that portfolio creation that I described, you know, kind of determining the key criteria and then matching it up. But through those partnerships, it's amazing the sort of mutual learning. And I think that's one of the really important pieces of our model and something that we really want to communicate broadly is that oftentimes there's a sort of unfortunate and limiting power dynamic between donor and recipient in that the money flows one way and then there's not necessarily a mechanism for a lot of the learning and impact to focus back up. And so what we're doing is creating partnerships where the members are providing resources and connections and the nonprofits are right back providing a lot of valuable tools and learnings that, you know, start to integrate into the businesses. So we definitely see it flowing both ways. And I think there's also a developing understanding of, you know, businesses can have impact in a certain space. Nonprofits have the ability to operate where there's not a market. So really, the more we make that clear, there can be that kind of mutual understanding and respect. And there can be that understanding of, you know, the nonprofits can help to solve business problems, to help create the market, to help continue to operate where there may not ever be a market, but where there's an important solution to be driven. So, you know, there's lots of ways in which those partnerships foster a lot of mutual learning going both ways. Jesse, Kate, let's do a final question to bring this home to listeners and really make it tangible and applicable for them. For anyone that's considering putting their funds either into climate through donations or through investments, what are a couple of tips for research as they deliberate and they consider all of the opportunities that are out there? Because there are so many and it can be overwhelming. Jesse, you want to kick us off? So one piece of research that I love and I look to as a sort of North Star for climate impact is Project Drawdown. 
amazing work really cataloging all of the existing and sort of proven and developing solutions across an enormous number of sectors and areas and geographies that are actively participating in the transition to the point of drawdown where CO2 and equivalents reach their peak and in fact start to decline. And so many of those opportunities are clearly in need of resources and investment to support them and grow them and scale them to the point we need them to scale. So I love Project Drawdown for that. The other piece I would say is talk to your financial advisor about what they're doing to put your investments to support those uh, outcomes. Investing is complex and financial advisors exist for a very good reason. The ultimate driver of them integrating impact investments into their offering is you, the individual that they work for. So keep pushing for uh, large institutions and uh, sort of vested financial decision makers to integrate the climate and climate outcomes into their decisions. Jesse, I want to build quickly on your shout outs for Project Drawdown, because one of our first guests on the podcast was Jamie Alexander from uh, Drawdown Labs. And I could almost hear her in my, uh, my ears as you were speaking saying, don't just worry about your investments, think about your company's investments. And so one way that you can be impactful is if your company isn't yet a member of the 1% for Planet community, Tell them about it. See if they might be interested in joining this program because you might have a lot more impact if you can influence your company's dollars rather than just think of your own. Kate, take us home. Thank you, Jason. I would say that one of the biggest things that we hear from individuals and companies when they're thinking about climate is it's so huge. Where do we get traction? So big proponent of Drawdown because it sort of starts with that message of we actually know what to do. Now let's start doing it. And here we're going to tell you sort of how to like tap into these solutions. And so the next step from there that we really encourage people to think about is what do you care about? Like, what are your values? Is is food and farming an area where you kind of have a passion and an interest? And is it something in your local area that you can see and touch and feel? Or are you more of a sort of policy and politics person? Are you more interested in advocacy? So do some, you know, reflecting on like, what are your values? What kind of gets you fired up? And what's an area where you would want to put some energy? And then within that, I think using Drawdown is a a great tool. Also, the UN Sustainable Development Goals provide a great framework for sort of seeing some of the different ways that, you know, maybe it's community organizing. That's something that you're kind of interested in. You'd like to like go to that local meeting and sort of connect with other people having an understanding of how those actions and the particular zoning decisions for crying out loud, that may be part of, you know, in front of you could be really relevant to climate. You know, those are important opportunities. So figuring out your values and kind of really what you care about and what you want to put energy into, and then, you know, using some of the frameworks like drawdown, like the UN sustainable development goals, like 1% for the planet, where we have four impact areas that kind of help to break it down. Then you can sort of do your sort of first step to lean in and start to get traction and then go from there. Jesse, Kate, thank you so much, both of you, for being here and for the work that you're doing. I look forward to following your progress and hearing about all of the impact that you create through your partnership. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jason. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Invested in Climate. Please remember to rate us on Apple, Spotify, or Google. Find show notes, sign up for updates, get in touch, and visualize your climate action at investedinclimate.com. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and does not constitute 
financial, accounting, or legal advice. Thanks again. 